0: hi everyone welcome to frontier faith a podcast where it's okay not to know not to know what you believe or why you believe it it's just okay to know that you have other people with you walking in this brand new experience of being on a frontier trying to figure out where your faith is and how you live it my name is nathan whitaker
1: i'm ryan harris
0: And today we're going to continue our conversation, sort of. It's sort of a continuation from last week, which was on politics. And last week we kind of talked about the 10,000 feet in the air approach of how uh, religion and politics have been mixing in the time that both Ryan and I have been alive. But as we noted in that episode, an election happened in between then and now. We are recording this on Sunday afternoon and uh that election has been taking place over the last few days since tuesday and i'm going to turn over to ryan to tell us kind of what's happened uh since tuesday
1: yeah this is the part where i get to pretend to be a news reporter and give you some numbers no (laughs) um and i'm only going to bring up some of these numbers just to kind of just like set the stage for where we're at you know it's been quite a week And uh, for everybody, regardless of who you voted for. So it looks like at this point, obviously, Joe Biden's been declared the winner, Um, not officially because the states take a few weeks to certify their results. But you know how that all works. And apparently this has been the highest turnout election since 1900, which, by the way, that was before women could vote. Um, And at this point, anyway, Joe Biden looks like he's going to get about between 290 and 306 electoral votes, of course, 270 is what you need to win. And in terms of just raw vote totals right now, looks like Joe Biden got about 75 million or so and Trump got between 70 and 71 million uh, total votes. And that will probably change a bit as they count all the rest of them. But just to kind of set that stage, it looks like of, of the 243 million eligible voters in the United States, 62% of them or so voted in this election. So, wow. I mean, it was, it was pretty uh, historic in that sense. Um, you had tremendous turnout on both sides um, all over the country and some interesting electoral shifts in terms of which way states voted and that kind of thing. But yeah. that's just where we're at as far as Sunday. It felt like this week took forever because... You know, I don't know how decision desks work and all that stuff with their fancy math and everything, but it took everybody a very long time to give us a result one way or the other. By Thursday, I was just like, honestly, just tell me so I can, whatever happens so I can know how to feel, you know, so... Yeah, that's yeah, kind of
0: like at. that old cliche the not knowing is the worst part, right? I mean, it
1: was, it was hard. I imagine that's true for everybody. Yeah. You know, like whoever you voted for, you're like, okay, did we win or did we not? And I need to know so I can figure out where I go from here.
0: Yeah. A couple interesting things as well. Uh, we have the first, if the states validate the elections as we have heard them, which we expect they will. Um, I don't think that's ever happened. Have you heard any reporting that that hasn't ever happened?
1: No, I don't think there's any realistic chance of it not happening now either.
0: Yeah. And uh, so with that being said, uh, Kamala Harris is the first woman uh, to be the vice president-elect and therefore the vice president when time comes She's also the first uh, woman of color um, in that office, I believe, mm-hmm. and certainly first woman of color in the executive branch that high up because right. Obama's the only man of color who has made it that far. Uh, and that's very interesting, very important. Um, yeah. However you spect-
1: feel about her or Joe Biden or Trump or whoever, I just, it, it is, I, I saw, um I saw a picture on the internet today. I think it was on Reddit or something. And it was a little girl. She was probably about three or four. She's black. And she had a t-shirt on that said, my VP looks like me. And the smile on her face was just like all of the politics aside. Like that just is a really important, very significant thing for our country. And in my mind, long overdue. But
0: yeah, very important. I'm uh, I'm the father of two daughters. Uh, and I know... Uh, it's kind of interesting being a parent because you start to get to know people uh, and you start to make friends that, uh, you know, we've talked about this kind of in passing, that are more like you than not. And most of my friends that are parents happen to be parents of at least one daughter. And so I've seen a lot of stuff on Facebooks. talked to a lot of people about how this um, helps them. As fathers to to empower and encourage their daughters, uh, it's not only possible that a woman could become vice president, but has actually now happened. You know, pending J- January twentieth, when she actually gets signed in, uh, and that's significant for women everywhere. Yep. Uh, I'm in a household full of wom- women, and I love it. Uh, I don't have that old cliche where I'm the Guy that hates it all. Um, it's befuddling to me sometimes just because <laughs> I don't get what's going on. But um, it's, it was a good day in our house for that reason. Yeah. We were able to celebrate that.
1: The only one other thing I just want to say about this, and then we can move on to the more, in some ways, more important stuff we want to talk about, is that one interesting thing is that um, while Joe Biden was the winner of the presidency, in terms of other candidates, as far as the House and Senate goes, Republicans actually did very well. Before the election, they were saying they expected Democrats to expand their House majority and they actually lost quite a few seats. And it's not clear who controls the Senate yet because we haven't heard on a race from Alaska, although that's expected to go to Republicans. And then there's going to be two runoff elections in Georgia and who knows what will happen. So I only bring that up to say it seems like there must have been a lot of people who voted against Trump, but still voted for Republicans for other offices.
0: Well, in the Senate, looks like at best we have a 50-50 split and the Democrats control that because the vice presidents vote. Right. At, well, I don't want to say at best. On one side, that's it. On the other side, Republicans have 52 versus the 50, or I'm sorry, 48 of uh Democrats, so there's that window of possibility, especially with some of the the Republicans who have been voted in, that uh, there could be. Actual ties and significant votes, right? Um, So it's going to be an interesting year for our four years term for all of us. We'll
1: have to see what happens. And so, anyway, I think that's the end of our uh, mini punditry that you get for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah,
0: I just any further, we'll look like idiots because we don't know what we're we're not.
1: I mean, we both voted, and I find politics interesting, but I have no education in political science or anything. So I almost
0: um, minored in it. Did you? But yeah. uh, that's just mostly to get the statistical background that you need to, to be able to do political science. But, yeah.
1: So, all right, Nate. So we've told people where we're at. So what are we doing today with what we're going to talk about? Like, uh, you know, we've just said we're not going to try and be pundits and I'm not saying none of our emotions or even some of our opinions might come out at some point, but that's like what I, we're not here to necessarily uh, mourn or celebrate or anything else. Right. So what are we going to talk about today in regards to this?
0: Yeah. So I think we just have a guiding question that's going to help us. Uh, we will not have a formal like structure. We are, we're moving away from that formal structure and just kind of assume it anyway, but we're not even assuming it today. We're going to just go off, uh, Off the top of our heads, we're going to talk about this with you. Our hope is to um, show you not where we stand with anything necessarily, although you'll pick some of that up. It's more, how do you grapple with this as a Christian on the frontier? How do you grapple with something significant like this, a presidential election, given some of the stuff we talked about last time and given uh, the cultural expectations within Christianity when it comes to politics. Mm. And so we're going to grapple through those things. I think the general question that we want to get around is, what does the election mean for us? And I thought we could actually start by doing, uh, what does that mean for us personally? Uh, That way we could share where we are, and uh, that'll help guide the conversation. My hope is that Where Ryan and I are, we're going to be in different places, but hopefully those of you who are listening, you can understand, or you can even empathize, or maybe we'll give you words to things that you've thought, or you've said, or maybe you'll be able to teach us when you write us at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. Always be plugging. (laughs) Um, So Ryan, let me ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot first. uh, What does this election mean to you? Oh, boy.
1: This uh, this has been an interesting four years for all of us, I think, <laughs> and it's even it's almost hard to answer that question because you know I've got a lot of feelings, just like I expect everybody else does, like the rest of us, or like all of us probably. I have some feelings, you know. This has been, uh, as I said earlier, an intense week. We've all been. I probably broke the refresh button on my browser, like a lot of you. You know, trying to see. I've never in my life been so uh, concerned with how Nevada voted for something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Nevada memes have been something hilarious. Oh, yeah, I've loved them. The one that was like, "Why is it taking so long?" And it's yeah, a lot from um, what movie? It was Zootopia, I think. You know, yep. just taking they do one vote and it takes them fifteen minutes to put it in the box, kind of thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean uh, the way we do elections in America is bonkers, but anyway. Um so on the one hand, I partly just feel relieved that that's over with. You know, like I said earlier, it's done, and while we won't have a new president and vice president for until January, like we can start to think about what that will be. And it's just been a lot of held breath by everybody, I think, for this whole week, and so it's a relief to be done with that part. And like we said, I I was just kind of the uh, as we talked about, so I guess I don't need to beat the the dead horse here. But watching those little girls watch Kamala speak was pretty amazing, and I just like, I mean, I don't. I sent Daniel a text, and I was like, "Man, I'm like crying over here, like I'm like a like this. Am I, I'm a little black girl, you know what I mean?" But uh, so that was pretty amazing, and. I think one thing that has stuck out a lot, one of the reasons I wanted to give you some of those numbers is that uh, at, the, at the beginning is that this is the, like we said, so the highest turnout in a very long time and that Joe Biden is probably going to get, they said, the most votes of any presidential candidate in history, of course, knowing that the population has changed a lot in history, right?
0: Yep. Um, Lots of babies.
1: Yeah. And you know, so like the previous record holder was Barack Obama, I believe, and this year, Biden went past that by quite a bit. But then, you know, Trump also got five, six million more votes than he got last time, too. Um, so what I, I kind of see in some of this is, <laughs> it's not just like, we are definitely divided politically, everybody knows that, right? I mean, you don't even have to watch the television these last, this last year or so to know that not to mention which in America we're in a perpetual election cycle. So you can't get away from it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, But I think it's really illustrating, not just the political divisions, but it honestly, sometimes it feels like these days we're almost two separate countries at least in terms of how people feel and see each other and, and all of that kind of stuff. Like it seems to have shifted from say the days of, I don't know, uh, Reagan and Carter or, you know, more in my lifetime Bush and Clinton, like, sure. There was a lot of disagreement then, especially about policy, but you know, I don't rem- I mean, I was pretty young, but it it seems like it's been within the last four years or so that there's been a shift in terms of how we all see ourselves and see each other.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that's like one of my big observations is that not only have I seen that in the interactions between people, but I've heard it from the highest office in the land. Uh, He constantly characterizes everybody either for or with him. And it's this weird game that goes on with politicians, with others, and how do you, even in the coverage of the post-election time, post-election day time, there's all these questions of who's going to side with what Trump is saying and who's not. Right. That's been the guiding narrative. And it really does feel like it's very divisive, in our country right now, which is almost such such a cliche, it's not worth saying.
1: But I mean, we've been divided before, but not on this deep identity yeah. that we seem to be, and, well, right. the Civil War, I suppose, and I'm not saying we're going to have a war, but I just mean in terms of how we see each other, um, it, obviously I wasn't alive in the 1860s, but it, it seems like it would be as similar to how the two nations at that point saw each other.
0: Yeah, more as enemies than you know people who have different opinions of how to get things done, and we can be heated about those opinions certainly. But now it's like it turns really quickly from "oh, we disagree, and that's a really stupid idea" to "you're a really stupid person," and and a bad that is person, right. What's that?
1: And a bad person.
0: Yeah, bad person. Yeah. Uh, so my first observation, going off of that, is that. Uh, what does this election mean to me? This has got nothing to do with the man's policies, but I just, I was relieved that I don't have to hear his voice all the time in the next four years. You know, I have some friends that are much more left-leaning than I am, and they were very upset about how this wasn't a universal shutdown of uh trump and you know i can empathize with that but the first thought that just occurred to me is oh but it's going to be such a relief um on our mental health as a nation not to have to necessarily hear him all the time now he's going to have power and he'll be able to do that a little bit but not from the seat of the white house right. and i think that that's something that's really important even if you don't like biden as the president I think what you'll find is that you might disagree with what he says, but you're not going to be in the same headspace as you were when Trump was talking on either side, Republican or Democrat.
1: Well, and it seems like, and again, I'm just kind of talking out of my ass here, so I I could be wrong. Right. But like I said, the fact that um, Trump didn't win and Biden got something like 6 million more votes, right? 306 electoral votes. Um, And yet Republicans did so well in terms of the other races, it's like uh, electoral races. I mean, it seems like there's something to the fact that it's not so much that people rejected Republicanism or the Republican party, as I think it seems like people were ready to move on from Trump and the way Trump trumped Yeah, (laughs) is what it seems like. You know, Um, obviously, that's not true everywhere. And for some people, that's certainly not true. But It just seems like if we look at it from a bird's eye view, at least as much as I can get from my computer, (laughs) it seems like that might be, it would have to be a big part of it.
0: Yeah. And for me, that is a big part of it because, you know, we are not a uh, television family. We don't have the TV on nearly all the time. In fact, there are several days the week that we don't watch it at all. Um, And I don't listen to news radio. In the car all that often. Uh, I, I listen to NPR whenever I need to, my local NPR thing, so that I can get to know what's going on locally and
1: Yeah, I nationally. love NPR.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great for its local coverage especially. Mm-hmm. I love it. I learned about a lot of this stuff, the art scene here in Fort Wayne. And in fact, that's totally aside, but we went downtown to uh, see some of Frenzas to see some of those for, we saw one for Ruth Bader Ginsburg and for uh, others in a, an international um, shop. And it just so happened that that shop was next to a lot of the art projects that they were doing during COVID because they had to do them outside. They weren't able to do hey. them inside to other people. Uh, and I learned about that from NPR, and it was really exciting. Anyway, aside, aside, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's just been really great to uh, not have that uh, voice, that way of talking. Let's say it like that. That way of talking, it's going to be great not having that whenever we do engage with news, a small amount as we do when it comes to. Uh, actually watching that kind of stuff. I think that that'll be fantastic. I mean, that's the first
1: thing that stuck out to me by far. I think um, another thing that occurred to me about in terms of how divided we feel, I think, and maybe this has always been true, but at least in terms of my lifetime, um, it sure seems, well, I mean, I guess this always has been true, but a big part of the division right now is it's not just Republican versus Democrat. Um, There's a, big part of that that's based on race and sexuality and gender and um you know like it's just it's not our political beliefs that divide us it seems to well it is but it's also our uh, more more fundamentally it seems to be things that are um fundamental parts of our identities whether that's christians versus non-christians or black versus white or gay versus straight or whatever it is like it, that is certainly a huge part of what we're all experiencing that I think contributes to that two nations feeling almost.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, you've got all the demographics, right? Rural versus urban. You've mm-hmm. got that part of it. You've got uh, coast versus inland and on and on and on. Yeah. Um, most definitely.
1: The only other thing, and this is minor and compared to what we are, uh, the other things we're going to talk about, but I just need to say, because it really is insane. I saw a stat that said when you add up everything in terms of president, Senate, all the different races in this last, this just election that just happened, something close to 14 billion with a B dollars were spent on this election. Yeah. and Which
0: I think- ever right
1: i think so and i mean like you hear about joe biden raised three quarters of a billion dollars and trump i don't think was too far behind until the very end you know and it's just like it, the point of this is not for me to complain uh at, at too much about american elections but there's just something that seems not just ludicrous but there's something wrong about the fact that we spend that much money on something like this whoever <laughs> the money's going to right yeah
0: I think the last thing for me is and this is going to be a little touchy but it's still part of who I am what was what it means to me that Biden won it's not because it's Biden but because of the way that things are talked about even now I was happy that more people were able to side with factual information than um, conspiracy theories or that's kind of like a talking point, but more importantly, I loved how somebody said uh, somebody had a, re, uh, a relaxed view of the truth. Hmm. Um, now, objective truth, of course, is something that we can talk about and have talked about. But objective truth has nothing to do with facts. Facts are within a system already established. So there is truth within political science. Or, you know, actual
1: medical science
0: or medical science. Yeah. And that truth just means it corresponds. The statement that you have corresponds with the general agreements of what that field or that system, that structure says. So, um, it's been very concerning to me, and ironic in a way, because a lot of people who are post-truth or post-fact they are very against postmodernism, which is just
1: like they're the same people who would yell about relativism and right. there is no yeah. right and wrong kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: and the reason why that's so ironic is because they're falling for the very thing they hate, whereas postmodernism's got nothing to do with that.
1: It's, well, projection is a hell of a drug. Um,
0: Uh, but yeah, it was nice to see that, um, in the, especially in the conversations from both sides leading up and afterwards, people were just emphatically saying, this is not true. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in the last few days. And it, it was a turn. It really was like, it was a turn since, uh, I think it was since a little before the actual projection by AP News, Mm -hmm. that there started to be this conversation point of when somebody says something that's not true, not objectively, but according to the way that politics are, that they're going to say, no, that's not true. And for me, that was another sign of hope Mm -hmm. because I'm not saying that people who voted for Trump don't believe in truth. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying that the discourse that we were having was very problematic when it came to facts and when it came to how do we see ourselves within the systems that, you know, govern us, um, the systems that, uh, as Ryan pointed out, that help us stay healthy and mm-hmm. help us stay, um, you know, Safe. alive yeah, <laughs> um, and to see just such Uh, relaxation around those has been very concerning for me. And part of what this election helped me see was that at the end of the day, no matter what side you're on, Republican, Democrat, Trump, or Biden, or whatever, it seems like, at least for now, um, those truths have kind of stood out as being something worth fighting for.
1: Yeah. One uh, one last thing that already had your last one. Well, I, I'm sorry. I need one more last one. This one's important. <laughs> um, There was a point in Joe Biden's talk last night, uh, his victory speech or whatever it was, where he specifically pointed out that he, people who voted for him, and he listed all kinds of the different communities, and he said, uh, he specifically mentioned gay and trans people. And I just, you know, I thought that was, you know, as a gay man, that, meant a lot to hear that from a president elect and you know i especially felt like you know i'm not a trans person myself but i feel like especially right now trans people have it really tough especially in the last four years or so and so i know that's just a one sentence but it uh it sure said a lot that was pretty important to me yeah so
0: that's kind of where Ryan and I are. Um, you can probably guess where we are um, personally from that a bit more. Uh, we're not trying to be safe in terms of our own personalities and our own political point of views, but Ryan and I just had a chat and we figured you didn't come here to listen to our political ideas and what we're excited about.
1: It's too bad because I could totally fix this country if you would all let me.
0: Well, and that's a wonderful way to say it because what started to realize is that, uh, well, we didn't we already knew this, but what came to the the surface of our conversation was something that a Republican, Democrat, Trumper or not, what you can agree on is that this election didn't fix everything. Uh, no election fixes everything, but there seemed to be like this hope that we were on the curb of disaster, and if it went one way for some people, that would be disaster, and if it went another way, it would be disaster for others. And I guess some of you might be thinking, well, that remains to be seen. We can, I think, agree that elections don't solve everything. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to link this election to our last conversation And start talking about some of the problems that we see in the church, in our country, uh, and in our lives, and start to really grapple with these. And so this is going to be like the most raw part of our conversation today because we have no idea what we're doing. Um, But let's just throw some of those things out there. What are things that need to be fixed that these last four years have shown you, Ryan, whether that's within our nation or within our church or our life?
1: God, should I start with the A's or? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think right now it's wherever you are, it seems hard to deny that. Um, well, some people do, but the biggest one for me, I think, is certainly the uh, racism and systemic structural racism in America. Um, I think George Floyd's death murder showed us that. And I mean, I think we all should have seen it before that. But certainly now it's hard. it's it's even a hundred percent harder now to to not see that. And I think that clearly Joe Biden winning didn't make that go away. Trump, if Trump had won, that would not have fixed it, right? So, I think the uh, the biggest one or maybe just one of the most obvious ones is the fact that we as a nation have never reckoned with our past and our history as far as racism and how that still has effects today and I think this election really showed that in a lot of different ways.
0: Yeah. I agree 100 percent. It's something that I'm fighting with or fighting for right now is racial justice in our city. And, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, Tuesday looks no different to us than it does today. Right. (laughs) There's been no like, oh, all of a sudden everybody realizes that racism is a problem and we've got to deal with it or that even people who are very passionate and want to, to change racism, they still have racist tendencies and so on that. None of that has happened. We're, right. we're no different, um, Generally speaking, than we were Tuesday. And as I think you rightly pointed out, uh, we have realized we've got some ways to go. We've got mm-hmm. some stuff to do to get our shit together.
1: It seems like a lot of white people had this idea that, well, Yes, there was slavery, but then we fought a war, freed the slaves, and now it's better, you know, and or we've ended segregation. So now there's it's not a problem anymore. And I think that just I mean, that just isn't true as much as we'd all like it to be true. It's not true. Um, But it's
0: also not to play both sides, but I think this is an important thing. It's also true. That just because Joe Biden was elected means that racism is going to go away in these next four well, years. Well,
1: no, I mean, if if that were the case, Obama would have fixed it when he got elected, right, as the first Black president, and clearly that did not happen, and not that he was he would have been able to. I'm not blaming him for that. I'm just saying it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So I think that's a big one. I think especially for what we're doing here. It seems like a big one is the way that Christianity, specifically evangelical Christianity, but honestly, you could probably just say conservative Christians, because you have those in Catholics and, um, you know, some, uh, like, you know, some of you Lutheran types and all that kind of thing. In terms of conservative Christians, that... That has been even more solidified in terms of the division between how Christians, conservative Christians, see themselves and how other people see conservative Christians. Um, I think that, I don't think that's a news flash necessarily, because I mean, we kind of knew that after 2016, right? When evangelical Christians were one of the big ways that Trump managed to win. Um, but I think this time around, it, uh, it seems to solidify that even more, that there is a definite way that this community views itself and that people view this community at least in broad terms anyway.
0: you Can you be specific on those broad terms? like how do how do you think the conservative Christian community, if there is such a thing, sees itself and how the world the rest of the world sees them?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, we've talked about some of this before, but certainly, uh, there's this idea of, you know, the quote unquote, moral biblical values, right. Um, traditional family stuff like, so conservative Christians, I think tend as speaking as one, someone who used to be one, right. (laughs) Um, tends to see themselves as like the ones who not only have the truth, i.e. as they see it, the gospel as they understand it, but, um, that are working to redeem society to make it better. And it's interesting, you know, because I feel like very liberal people see themselves in the same way. They just do it very differently. (laughs) Right. Um, But I think that's a big one, you know, things like the culture war stuff, certainly abortion and the courts has been a huge part of that. Um, I mean, I think you even heard a fair number of Christians saying uh, in 2016, well, I'm not, I don't really like Trump, but the judges are really important. And then as we saw, he got, I mean, all kinds of judges confirmed. So I think that's a big part of it. But um, it seems to be that there's this idea among conservative Christians that society needs to fundamentally go back to something they believe it used to be, right? In terms of morals and values and mores and um, societal stuff, all that kind of thing. Whereas, so they tend to be conservative, right? They don't, like, they want to see things change, but they want to see them change back to what they think they used to be. Whereas the other side tends to, liberal people tend to say, no, we don't like how things are, and so we'd like to see them change. Um, That seems to be, uh, did, did that answer your question?
0: Yeah, so then the rest of the world or the rest of people probably look back or look on to um conservative christians and ask how is it that you're fighting for morality when there's an immoral man in office is that
1: I mean certainly that- that's been a question that I've never heard a great answer to um but I think well I guess the answers I've heard were were things like you know like abortion and the judges and stuff or um, honestly, that's it for mo- a large, a large portion of those people. That's really the biggest and only reason, you know, it doesn't matter who or what he may have done because he's uh, doing things that will help stop abortion. And remember how they view that, right? Um, they tend to see it as murdering babies. So, um, I mean, I think that's a big part of it. Why they'll, some of them held their nose and voted for him anyway, because they, that was the most important thing to him, to them whatever you want to say about Trump, he does have some kind of political instincts that helped him sometimes. And one of the things he got and really held on to was how much the evangelical community um, was rock solid behind him, generally speaking. And so he said and did a lot of things that um, were definitely tailored to keep that community behind him, um, whether they were genuine or not, that's a different discussion but um i think that was involved in how that community became so firmly ensconced behind him also
0: okay yeah so there's this would you say there's uh how do i ask this question
1: (laughs) who knows we're having this is a you know folks i think this one is really one where you can tell that we're really exploring here you know (laughs)
0: Yeah. So I guess the best way to just ask it is the way that I thought of it, which is, do you think there's an identity crisis within? uh, I think the within is what's struggling or hard for me because I don't know if it's necessarily within conservative Christianity. Maybe it's within Christianity altogether. Maybe it's within Christianity as politics, like because if the conservative christian world sees itself as one way and the rest of the world doesn't see it that way you know there's so only so much that you can control there's going to be that no matter what but it does seem like there's a striking difference between those two as you've brought out it's not just hey we think abortion is bad it's something much more striking in terms uh-huh. of you well, know, not only is abortion bad, but if you do it, you're a terrible person type thing.
1: Well, and uh, it is something that is unique to America, I think, also in that. So, for example, uh, Angela Merkel, the chancellor of Germany, she belongs to the Christian Democrat Party. Right. Uh, and yet that does not mean what that would mean here. Right. <laughs> yeah. If there was a Christian party in America that wasn't, you know, the Republicans, that's not what that would mean. So there's something unique about it in American politics, yeah. like. I think a lot of times when you hear people from Europe or other parts of the world they don't understand what's going on here it's because they don't have anything like it in their system you know it's a unique so, part of our identity I think
0: The way that I kind of hear that or think about it is you know someone who's either not self-aware of how they're being impressed upon other people or they don't care They don't care how other people see them, not in the healthy way that, you know, some of us should have some ambivalence towards because Mm -hmm. become you just (laughs) can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But in the unhealthy way where we don't see how well conservative Christian world can't see how what they're saying and what they're doing might actually be damaging. That's what it feels
1: like and sounds like to me. Some people I think don't see it. And I think many of those people are probably well-intentioned and, um, you know, as they would say, standing up for truth or what they see is right. You know, I think, I think some people in that world do see that, like they do see how people are viewing them like non-Christians. I mean, and, and I think they are in some ways uh, what's the right word? Like, it's not that they don't care, but it's almost like that's how things should be because we are the church and they are the world, you know? Okay. Um, I think that's part of it too. Uh, it it kind of probably varies depending on where you are and what group specifically, but that seems to be in the mix as well. Um, so I think I think that's in there. I don't know. It's hard because like, we, as people, tend to categorize people in monolithic groups. And when you right. talk about something like an election like this, you almost have to, right? Because obviously, we don't know the thoughts of the seventy million eight hundred and four thousand four hundred and fifty seven <laughs> people who voted for Donald Trump right now. right. Um, I mean, even in within communities, right? Like with uh, um, the Hispanic vote in Texas, voted for Trump overwhelmingly, but in Nevada and Arizona, they were hugely for Biden and the Cubans in Florida voted uh, against Biden. So I mean, like even within the group that we tend to see as the same, it's not right. It's it's more complicated than that, but
0: yeah. And that would be true for conservative Christians too, because if you're a conservative Christian, you're hearing this and you're like, well, that's not me. Well, of course it might not be, right. It might not be. Um, So we have to I think that's just part of the nature of this kind of conversation is generalities and, and themes and patterns. Uh, But there are always people who are outside that pattern and the pattern doesn't have to apply to you for the things to be true necessarily. Yeah. Or they might not be true for you.
1: Right. And, but one thing that seems to be true, at least as far as I can tell, as one dude in Missouri, looking at all of this, it seems like at least a significant portion of conservative Christians um, have identified themselves with the Republican party in America for the reasons we've talked about and some other ones, right? So, I mean, it's, whether it's taxes or whether it's abortion or whether it's just honestly the individualism that is inherent in American culture that Republicans tend to, um, you know, frame things in terms of, uh, it seems, I I think it's safe to say that a large number of conservative Christians in America have lined themselves up with and even identify themselves as Republicans because they see it as part of something fundamental about themselves.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really good place to drill down a bit deeper because I would agree um, being around conservative Christians most of my life
1: and most of the time We both know that world very well. Yeah.
0: And I think that that's generally true. And if you've listened to our last podcast, you know that that's kind of the conversation we had last time. What kind of is getting in my mind and what I want to explore a little bit and why what you said so great is because I think there are some people who identify Republicanism with Christianity, but can I say kind of in a banal way, kind of in a way where it's just that's what it is, kind of like they think it's a reality, but they won't actually have this weird cult of uh, personality with Trump or they won't have, uh, you know, uh, a deep tie in into either people or... Even the party into their identity, uh, so much so that they get riled up and they get depressed if however the election goes, you know. Um, What about those people who um, are not the caricatures? Maybe another way to say this. As I said uh, to Ryan before we started, there are a couple people who I can think of who don't fit the stereotypical Trump idea or personality, or presentation. Uh, There's this one gentleman who I know, I'm fairly certain he voted for Trump both times. We don't have that kind of conversation, but you you can just know who people are based off of getting to see how they act and what they say. And he is the nicest guy I have ever met. And I say that unapologetically. He's the nicest guy I've ever met. He's one of the only people who have invited me into his house to have dinner with me, uh, and my wife, of course, and his wife. Uh, and he's genuinely excited to talk to me, which you know, as a pastor, yeah, uh, that's kind of rare. People are excited to talk uh, to me,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> and talk at and, you <laughs> and ask me some questions, but to actually talk with me and you know want to know what's going on in my life. And that's, that's rare for pastors. It's rare for people in general, but uh, what about him? What about him who to come on strong and say, well, you know, you don't realize that voting Republican and the way that you see Republicanism is so closely connected to your Christianity, that it's dangerous. That's not going to be very helpful or to say, you know, uh, Trump is is a monster and you shouldn't vote for him because he's a misogynist, he's a narcissist. Yeah, whatever you know, he is, yeah. Whatever, and so on and so forth. And as a Christian, you should know better, right? That's just trying to shame a Christian into doing something and then we're no better than...
1: Well, and I think that uh, scorn and shame is is a big part of why we see so many evangelicals and conservative Christians have gone the way they have. I mean, I think there's something to the idea of when you see something as part of your identity as closely as most conservative Christians tend to see, right? Um, When you constantly hear from people who you think have no idea about your life, like the coastal elites, quote unquote, right? Uh And they make fun of you for being stupid or hicks or backwards or, you know, whatever it is. Then it makes sense that you would <laughs> that that uh, that would be problematic and help develop a lot of the dynamics. I think that we see.
0: Yeah. So how do we how do we talk to somebody like that? How do we talk with uh, this gentleman or anyone else? Where uh, not in the everyday sense, but in the sense of let's try to get you to see that conservatism. Um, is bigger than republicanism, and, and maybe even hindered by republicanism, and maybe maybe you can even move beyond conservatism, not into liberalism necessarily, but beyond that, because as Christians, we are always beyond our political leanings. We we see things differently, or we should, not in the shameful... I was going to say,
1: we're supposed yeah. to be. We're I don't know to. if we all are. In fact, I don't think we all are. And I'm not saying I am, but I just right. mean like I, the dynamic we see here. I think, whichever group you're talking about, it seems to be that a lot of people maybe aren't able to separate the two whether that's Republican and Christian, or I suppose Democrat and Christian, right? It seems in America, those two things are um, conjoined and are not separable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how can we help people like that? I guess is the question or to reframe the question maybe is how can we help people see that politics is a tool, not a part of our identity, Maybe that's another way to think about it because we can be passionate about our tools, right? I'm a painter. So I paint, not a painter painter, I paint miniatures. And one of the things that I realized really quickly is that there are good tools and there are bad tools. Uh There are good brushes and bad brushes. And even within like the brand of a good brush, um, I use number seven from a certain company um. Sometimes they don't really prepare the brush well, mm-hmm. and so you spend like twenty dollars on this brush, and it's shit. And right, you're like, right? This is terrible. I can't paint like I want to. Um, politics can still, you know, and I get impassioned by that. I'm like, I spent twenty dollars on this. Come on, I gotta. I want. This. So you can be impassioned about it, but it's still not be part of your identity, right? And mm-hmm. so, how do we? I guess that's, I'm going to stop saying I'm guessing, but that is my question. Like, how can we talk to people in the midst of this? Because I think that that's a fundamental problem that, as you noted, identity is something that we closely connect our politics to. And I would even push even further, and maybe you said this and I wasn't paying attention, but we tend to, in conservative America, tend to identify our politics even over our religion, or at least at the same level of uh, of what Jesus says and our our Bible says, and so forth. So, how can we move beyond that? I guess is the final guessing to the question.
1: Well, folks, let me tell you, I've got it figured out, and I'm going to solve it for you right here. All right, All right? Me... get your note back. Your notebook's out. Right. Be ready to take this down. I'm ready. I don't fucking know. <laughs> uh, and I, I, it's not to say I don't have thoughts, but I just want to state at the beginning here. I don't know how to fix that in a systemic way because I don't think any of us can do that by ourselves, right? I think I think one of the things we all need to work on is maybe re-educating ourselves or reorient, reorienting our um, vision for, like you said, as a Christian, what is what are political systems and governments for and what are they not for, especially in terms of my um, faith in Christ and what I believe that means I should do, shouldn't do, or et cetera, right? And because I think what we, a lot of us tend to do, whether you're conservatives or liberals, but we'll, I'll just focus on the conservatives because it's more apparent and kind of, like a, like we said, the world we grew up in and Kind of steeped in, you know, is like, so let's say, for example, you think that abortion is evil, right? And that you think it's the most terrible thing ever. And it feels like what a lot of people have done is the reason, the way then that they deal with that is by voting for the correct politicians who will hopefully change it so they can appoint the right judges or whatever it is. Yeah. And as we talked about last time, it doesn't seem to actually work that way, right? And I wonder if whatever your cause is, You know, I think, I think we've kind of made, I'm trying to think of the right metaphor, but we've made government and legislation and um, judges or whatever, like the only tool we have in our toolbox, like it is the whole toolbox. Whereas um, I think maybe government might, for Christians anyway, might be more of something that can be helpful, um, can be a tool that we have to change things in society, maybe even for the better. But it seems like we've just kind of said, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to vote. I'm going to maybe give to a candidate. I'm going to vote for only Republicans or whatever it is. And then we just kind of quit. Like, that's all we have to do. You Mm -hmm. know, like if you really believe that about abortion, it doesn't seem like it should be enough to just vote for Republicans. Now, some people do more than that, but I, you know, by and large, it's like. If prohibition taught us anything, it's that laws and and governments aren't going to solve things that at the time they viewed as moral issues.
0: Yeah, I like that. I kind of jumped the boat by saying it was a tool and you kind of, well, that was a terrible phrase, not jump the boat, <laughs> but jump the shark. I don't know, whatever. I went too far uh-huh. <laughs> and said that politics is a tool and you went a step back and said, Maybe we should ask a more fundamental question. What is government for and what is it not
1: for? Well, especially, I, like I said, as a Christian, right? This may yeah, not as be the same if you are not, right? But we're talking as Christians, even different kinds of Christians. What does it mean for us?
0: Yeah. And maybe to ask a more specific question, maybe it's an unhelpful question. You can tell me that. But is government for legislating morality?
1: I mean, I don't think you can say like 100% no in that like we need the government to say you can't murder people, (laughs) right? Like that kind of stuff. But in terms of our own personal moral views or values that we see, whether we get them from our reading of the Bible or somewhere else, it doesn't appear to be that the government, even if we want it to be that way, it doesn't um, seem to be able to do that effectively.
0: Yeah, which is where prohibition comes in. and
1: Or even, you know, I mean, before Roe v. Wade, it's not like there weren't any abortions, right. you know?
0: Well, and same with the uh, a gay marriage. Right. People would just go wherever you can get married, mm-hmm. and that was it. And, you know, keep it secret and so forth, because it was illegal, if you will.
1: Right, um, or whatever it is, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's good. I like that. Like asking yourself a fundamental question. What's what's politics
1: for? And it just gave me a thought, too, is and I wonder what you think of this. But I think it also should provoke us all to think very carefully about if we identify ourselves with a politician, a party, a whatever it is, which, you know, whoever, whatever that is. I think we often fail to recognize that that says more about us than just how we vote or more than just what we think about tax policy. Like if, if as a person I see Republican or Democrat or shoot libertarian anyway, as part of my identity, (laughs) then (laughs) that, yeah, that means though, that if I do that, that means well, you can say i agree with this and not with this and give an itemized list when people see they don't see that right when you when people know that you identify yourself that way they don't say well how what's your position on issue number 1604 yeah, right. right um so i think one thing where we seem to be pretty bad at is taking well not just taking a minute but really thinking deeply about if i identify myself with this person this party this whatever that that says That is going to say to people a lot of things about me, whether those things are true or not.
0: That brings up a really interesting one that I wasn't considering, which I think is really important. And I'm just like starting to hammer in on this. I I haven't really like conceptualized what this looks like in ministry, but perhaps a second one that uh, a second question we have to ask ourselves is not w- not just what's government for, or what's uh, politics for, but um, are we open to nuance? Because I don't think in Christian American culture that we are right if you say you were just doing that but i'm going to say a little bit differently you were saying that you know people will say i identify as a republican and then all of a sudden you have all these things of what that means in the christian world if you say that you're a democrat within conservative christians you know there's all these things that come to mind oh so you're for killing babies or Or whatever yeah
1: whatever it is
0: um and there's danger there but You know, to push a little deeper into the nuance question, are we open to nuance? Is it possible for a Republican or someone who, let's say differently, someone who tends to vote Republican also be uh, anti-gun ownership? You know, is it possible? Well, certainly it's possible, but are we open to the nuance of what that means and the curiosity that that would bring about, right? Why is this somebody who, according to my framework, should be like an NRA card-carrying member, but doesn't like guns? There's got to be a reason for that, right? And we can start to discuss that. Maybe we'll start to learn more about each other
1: that way. or well, that's hard to do, though, because of, like I said earlier, we want to put people in large groups exactly, and that's hard to do. And I
0: think that that it has its utility, as we've done uh, when you're talking broad strokes. But when you start to get down to the personal level, it's really important to see that all people are different. And, you know, just like we discussed here, someone can be a Trumper and be a pleasant personally, great guy who just is for not just their pastor, but for their black neighbor or whatever example you want. And I don't know if we're open for nuance, and I think that applies to just about anybody. Uh, you know, I find myself because our brain does this, and this is one of the things that I find interesting is our brain, forces us to do this or rather our brain naturally does this because it takes energy
1: to do this for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it takes energy for our brains to, to, you know, focus on differences. It's a lot easier. So like, for instance, um, when you're scanning the room, um, when you're looking for something, if you're not actually intentionally looking for something, your, your brain is making assumptions of what you're seeing. And you do this you know, when you wake up. You think you see something. Kids do this at night when they're, uh, they're shadows. They think they see something, it terrifies them. Their brain's just kind of putting something together. Uh, and that serves its use to a degree. Like when you're driving, you don't want pay to pay attention to the texture of the sign that's telling you to exit, right? Um, but when it comes to people, it's not all that helpful. And we need to be intentional, or rather, the question is: Are we being intentional and open to the nuance within people, uh, especially people we disagree with?
1: Well, nuance is hard. Nuance takes investment in relationship and right. you know, learning new things and listening, and and that's, like I guess, I'm saying that for all of us. Nuance is yeah. hard and takes a lot more effort. It's much easier to think about an entire group as X rather than to you know. Um, I think something that occurs to me too. And if, if you have more to say about that, go ahead before. Okay. Um, is there something about the way we view people who aren't in our group, whatever that may be? Like we said earlier, we tend to, to vilify them or demonize them, or at least see ourselves as better than them. Right. And yet I feel like that's a huge part of the problem there is like you just said, we don't know people. We don't know people's hearts and we can't judge everything about them. Even if we can say certain things are not right, you know, or certain actions or whatever. Um, But what gets me is like, even if your caricature of whatever group it is, is correct. um, The way we treat whatever the other, whatever our opposing group or people are, Like, even if they were the evil things we say or think, how we treat them is I don't think how we should treat them, at least if we are Christians, you know, like, even if these people are are our enemies, you know, whoever those people are, like, should we be struggling against them and making ourselves look better and um, fighting as hard as we can uh, to whatever, you know, like... Defeat them. Defeat them. I mean, should we be okay with thinking of seventy million people or seventy-five million people as um, some kind of demons? (laughs) Hopefully, (laughs) metaphorically, you know. Right. Like, what I'm getting at here is no. Like, even if every. Even if every right-wing caricature of liberals is correct, and even if every liberal caricature of right-wing people is correct, at least for the Christians in that group, I mean, hopefully for everybody, but at least for the Christians in that group, um, those groups, I don't think we should be treating other people the way we do. And in like, I know I, I must say this all the time and maybe you get tired of it, but it's just like somebody told us we should love our enemies. Yeah. I somebody, wonder where I read who, that. Who, who said that? You know, yeah. it wasn't Ryan. It wasn't Nate. It wasn't, you know, uh, whoever. It wasn't Buddha, although he may have said something similar, but it it was like Jesus told us that. Yeah. Um And so for those of us who identify ourselves as followers of his, as disciples of his, as members of his kingdom, I think we've gotten things backwards. I mean, even if you see some things as evil, I think Paul tells us to overcome evil with good, you know, like, and so what I, I don't know, maybe it's clear what I'm trying to say, but what I'm trying to say is, you know, we do this so fundamentally wrong. And, you know, for me, like, I'll just be somewhat transparent here because I don't think it's a secret. Like, I am not a Trump person, (laughs) okay? And I've really struggled these last four years. But even people who say things or do things that I think is terrible, I still try. Sometimes I don't succeed, but I still have to do my best to love them like Jesus loves me. And I hope that that's true for them, too, you know? even if you think someone else is marginalizing you, it doesn't mean that our reaction should be to marginalize them. I think is what I'm trying yeah. to say.
0: Yeah, I like that. I actually hear two things of what you're saying. One was I was uh, is what I was thinking, and I'll talk about that one last so that I can take credit for it. But the first <laughs> brilliant. one, brilliant, is uh, you know doing the hard thing of what love is, of what Jesus did for us, right? If you if you take that um Romans 5 approach, that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, he came and he died for us. And he even said that, right? Love your enemies, as you point out. And as you said with my last point, I'm gonna say with this point, I think it doesn't need to be said because all four of these things that we're gonna discuss or at least the four that we've discussed so far far, and the one I'm going to be taking credit for, mm-hmm. um, they're all hard, right? It's yeah. hard to ask the question, what are politics for? Because we assume we know what it's for. It's hard to ask the question and to th- see things through nuance. It is definitely hard to see our enemies as lovable, mm-hmm. uh, very hard. And the fourth one is, is part of what you said, and I'll just bring it to bear, is... Maybe we should see people as human beings first, mm-hmm. and uh you know, I can't help but think of ro or Philippians 2, mm-hmm. my favorite passage uh for uh a while now um starting at verse three, I'm gonna read it. We don't normally do this, but I think it's really important. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. well, that's not easy. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Gosh. Adopt the attitude that was Jesus in Jesus Christ. This is verse six, and this is where I'll end. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider himself being equal with God, something to exploit, sorry, verse seven, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings.
1: Hmm. It's one of those things that's so simple to understand, but so very hard to do.
0: And it's something that's really easy, especially when we put ourselves in a singular relationship with God, right? Like, he put himself in my shoes as a human being, and he took upon my guilt, my sin, all of that. What's really hard is when we see that Jesus and Paul here, especially, is telling us, no, 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 that's true, but The reason why he's bringing that up is because the Philippians need to act that way. And so do we, right? Right. We need to act like Jesus emptied himself for our sake by emptying ourselves for the sake of others. And by doing that, I think, uh, let me, so I use that passage because I think the best way we can understand how do we treat people as human beings is to see the way that Jesus treated us and said, look, I'm going to give up my thing with God and I'm going to come down here with you and be with you leveling the field out where we are on the humanity level. Yeah. And, and I, too often we don't do that.
1: Yeah. I think the other, the thing of, I think what I've noticed and this has probably always been true. I just, I don't think it's new, uh, unique to the last four years, but we view these kind of political things, especially when it is so um, central to how our identities, how we see our identities, is that it's such a knife fight, right? Like, this is yeah. down and dirty. and and and, you know, it's a struggle, and we're wrestling and all this kind of stuff. And I just I feel like saying to all of us is like, if there's fighting to be done, let God fight for you. I mean, like we're not here to fight people ever,
0: right. And right.
1: I, you know, I, I think, Anyway, maybe we've turned this into a bit of a sermon, but <laughs> I think, think the idea, what we're trying to get at here is that if your identity is really in Christ, well, this is what I'm trying to get at, I won't speak for you, but <laughs> if our identity is really in Christ, then I think we need to see through that lens first. And it doesn't mean you don't vote for a party or you don't support certain things or whatever, but... I think we've mixed all these things together and made them all into one when yeah. I don't think it's supposed to work that way for those right. of us who say we are Christians.
0: Well, you can fight vehemently against ideas. Right? You can say, no, white supremacy is a terrible idea. And you we should. We stop that. And we should. Yeah. But, and this is where it gets hard. We shouldn't fight against the person who happens to be a white supremacist. Well, I think, in terms of their humanity.
1: Yeah. I think about like, you know, in the various marches in the civil rights, like Dr. King and and all of that, like they were fighting for justice, and rightly so. But they did it. They didn't, they weren't violent. You know, they didn't, right. they didn't take
0: they didn't kill people. Like
1: they weren't violent. <laughs> they just the whole yeah. time they were standing up for, for something that needed to happen, but they weren't fighting against the people, they were fighting against the problems. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that were much deeper than that, much more systemic and harder than just a person, you know, in some ways it's easy to understand, well, if I hurt or kill this person, the problem is solved. Turns out it doesn't usually work that way, right? Which is why things like what they did in the civil rights era were so genius, because that's the kind of thing that can really bring change more than anything else, I think. Um, When I
0: think of people like Gandhi and Mother Teresa, too, you know, they're not saints in any stretch of the word, but they uh, Gandhi saw the British soldiers not as his enemies, but, you know, the British Empire as his enemy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mother Teresa didn't see rich people as her enemy. She saw uh, poverty as her enemy. Right? And we can be, like they were, very upset at the ideas that en- ensconce those things and make them uh, the status quo even, or even valuable within a society because you know we'd rather pursue wealth or colonialism or whatever it might be. But to then turn around and say that people are lost in their evil incarnate That's a bit too far. That sees people not as human beings that have shitty ideas, but see people as less than human. And I got to tell you, the studying that I've done across the board in history or whatever, it doesn't matter where you are on the political spectrum. If you start seeing people as subhuman, no matter who they are, then you're on a dangerous path.
1: You're on the uh, wrong side there, folks. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Speaking of wrong side of history, it doesn't matter what you believe. You're on the wrong side of history and you're on the wrong side of, you're on the opposite of side of where Jesus is, right. right? Jesus would be on the side of hugging those people and embracing them and maybe not hugging, but
1: you know what I mean, well, of of loving those people. Yeah. I mean, even Jesus didn't execute any Pharisees.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he had bad words, not for who they were, but for what they were doing, right? Right. The brood of vipers is not because of who they were, but because of what they were trying to do to him Mm -hmm. through their terrible teaching and scheming and so on and so forth. On the cross, this is like the perfect example, right? He says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Mm -hmm. he knew very clearly what they were doing was really terrible, right? You're killing him.
1: Or Stephen, you know, he's there getting stoned, like, you know, to death after just giving them this long sermon about how they should know better. And yet as they're doing that, he asked God to forgive the people who are doing it. So, yeah, I guess I think that's kind of kind of central to what we're talking about here today is like, I want to say to people, um, how many, if you, so for example, if you're a Democrat, how many Trump supporters do you know? And vice versa. Right. And not in the sense of you got to know one of every group, but like like we were talking about of like, what if we listen to people's actual fears and concerns, grievances, and maybe they're valid, maybe they're not, I don't know. But honestly, I think big part of the problem we have with this is that we tend to dismiss people and not listen to what they're saying. Because like... You know, there is something to the fact that a lot of people who uh, voted Republican are doing so because society has fundamentally changed in terms of things like manufacturing and such, right? right? Yep. And they're scared because they don't they don't know if their jobs going to survive, yeah. some of the towns are dying, whatever it is. And like I feel like what would happen if we actually listened to them and said, "Okay, here's how we can maybe help with that" rather than just saying Well, you're shit out of luck. The world's changed. Yeah. You know? Um, Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we started with the cliche of this whole conversation that the election didn't fix everything. And I think these four things are just a good start, but we have to recognize that there's work to be done. And as Christians, I want you to hear me well. That doesn't mean politically. Politically po- politics, I believe, are just a tool. So if it helps you and it helps your neighbor do it, I would say actually, if it helps your neighbor, if we do yeah. you know Philippians right. too,
1: it can also um, help you too. It can help you yeah. too.
0: But if it helps your neighbor, use that tool. But what I want to push towards is the twofold thing that we're talking about. Do what's hard and recognize that there is a lot of hard work to be done. And I think that's my number one takeaway from everything uh, that we've seen the last couple of months, but certainly the last week, is that America has a lot of work to do. I don't care about as America as much as I do the church, and the church has even more work to do.
1: Mm.
0: We have work to do to bring about this reality, both conservative and progressive Christians, to come together, work towards the kingdom of God by, you know, seeing others as better than ourselves, as hard as that is, and more.
1: At least as as much as that is possible, you know, like neither, neither of us are saying that that means you can't fight injustice or that you have to accept something that is not okay because someone else thinks it is. Like, that's not... I hope that's not what you're hearing. Cause that's not the point. But the point is, at least for me anyway, is like, how do we react and what do we do? Even if that is the truth, you know, how do we fight for justice in a way that's not, um, in a way that's fighting the spiritual things behind it and not the people themselves. Right. Like, yeah, I hope that, I hope that makes sense. Like I'm not, I would not tell any group that if you are marginalized, that you should just accept it because Jesus loves everybody. No, that's not what I mean. But I do think that how we fight for justice is hopefully different than how non-Christians would do that.
0: Did you come up with that by yourself, that we should fight, uh, that our battles... Not against people, but against (laughs) Uh, structures and systems. Somebody
1: said that, you know. yeah. Yeah. Powers and principalities and such. Like, I think that's okay to say. I At least, you know what? I'll just say that as a member of a group who is marginalized, okay? And I can't speak for everybody. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I'm just saying personally, as someone who has experienced that, I hope that my Um, fight for justice is never a fight against people or never hurts people, but finds other ways to bring justice because we should try and bring justice where there is injustice, but we got to do it the right way.
0: And it will take hard, hard work.
1: And it probably won't be quick, unfortunately.
0: Well, that was, uh, that was really interesting and really fun i really uh enjoyed that conversation i hope you did as well as you listen to us talk again we know that you can go anywhere to hear political ideas and so forth what we tried to do here is just drill down a little bit deeper see how we can do the work that we need to do as christians and we try to give you some ways forward uh ryan said that it kind of sounded preachy at the end but i think in a good way i hope so focused us on to what Christ tells us is important, what Paul teaches us to do, and uh, really values people for who they are, uh, children of God. Mm -hmm. And we're so glad that you listened. Please, this is one of those episodes that could be uh, difficult uh, to hear, depending on your leanings. If you want to give us any feedback, let us know at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. I am still working on that Facebook group, and I will let you know when that comes up. Uh, And we hope to have some engagement there. Uh, But we just want to finish by reminding you that it's okay not to know. And, I mean, you've listened to us for about an hour. You know that we have no idea what we're talking about.
1: We really Uh, are exploring this as we go with you. We really are.
0: Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay not to know. It's okay not to know what you believe or why you believe it. Uh, Just enjoy the journey, work through it, do the hard work of figuring that all out and trusting that uh, God is with you every step of the way.